Hello and welcome. Normandy FM is back in session class. It's been quite a while. Y'all have had a pretty long vacation, and so have we. But we figured it's time to start school back up again, so to speak. I, of course, am your host, Eric Van Allen, joined by my lovely co-host, Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing? I'm anxious. We haven't done this in so long, and I haven't recorded like a podcast in like nine months. So there's a I'm lot of sure. there's a lot of like uncertainty going into this right now, both in terms of me having not recorded a podcast in this long, and also the game that we're talking about, which I have never played. So a lot of uncharted territory for me today on this episode. But that's what we love about Normandy FM is that it grows, it changes, it evolves, and even sometimes steps into new territory like the Near series, which is the subject of our series. But for those of you who are new, for those who who may be jumping in with this series, uh, or who maybe uh, have been waiting for us to come back and forgot who we are, hi, we're Normandy (laughs) FM. We are a retrospective podcast, as we like to call it. We like to take different video games, go back through all of them, play them in sort of a book club style setting uh recap them and discuss them critically with a critical eye and bring on plenty of guests to help us do that fill in the gaps and expand our critical know-how in the process and in the past we've covered mass effect dragon age jade empire the last of us Uh, i'm I'm sure i'm forgetting a few right now um fancy 10 cyberpunk Cyberpunk, mm-hmm, Final Fantasy X. Yeah, we've done a lot of games at this point. Normally, they're just games that we really, really like. And I would say that Nier falls under that category for sure. Uh, maybe myself a little bit more than Ken. <laughs> <laughs> but we figured that Nier was on our uh, on our cover art, so we should probably get around to it at some <laughs> point. Uh, and yeah, so this is... Well, we'll talk a little bit about our own histories with the the game itself. Uh, but Ken, I, I think you wanted to start with a note about why it's been such a long gap since our last season. Yeah, so it's a it, there are multiple reasons this happened, and it's almost entirely my fault. Uh, as we talked about back at the beginning, or back at the end of Cyberpunk, I had a jaw surgery in November that basically made it where I could not really speak very well for a very long time. And on top of all of that, uh, my life completely got upended, and... I moved across the country, and I have a new job. I work at Taco now. I've, I never actually got to announce that on this show. Um, there were like oh hints God, you're to, right. yeah, there were there were hints to that it was happening. And I think if you listen to the last couple of Cyberpunk story, or Cyberpunk episodes, uh, there were like me gesturing at some great change that was happening in my life. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. all that happened uh, when I was still in the midst of recovering from that surgery, and um, we had. Initially recorded the cyberpunk season so far ahead of time under the impression that like I was going to be recovered enough by like say January or February and we might have been able to kind of just like you know jump right onto near without skipping a beat and that just did not end up being the case for both my recovery and also just like I had to move my entire life across the country and so that happened and then like as I started recovering like you and I just like in our Day jobs started running into a lot of... Like, we, we've had a busy few months. I'm sure anyone who listens to this podcast and is like, aware of the video game industry knows that... ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> you know... nuts. When fucking 
Tears of the Kingdom and Final Fantasy come out in like the span of like six weeks for each other, uh, mm-hmm. you don't really mm-hmm. get to stop. And then we had like you know Summer Game Fest and a bunch of other bullshit. Um, so there has not really been a point that has felt like great to re- bring back Normandy. Uh, not because we don't like love doing the show, but we are busy people, and sometimes there are just not great. And like we've even talked about this over the course of doing the show so like there are some like windows of time where this show gets a lot more difficult for us to do just because like everything else on our day jobs is just getting so much worse and you have blood god too so like you're mm-hmm. juggling so much all the time and so but and gr- granted like and to be to be completely transparent Baldur's Gate 3 is coming up and that's probably going to eat up most of our lives again yeah um, yeah the two of us are going to disappear into that game like you haven't seen human beings disappear into mm-hmm, a game mm-hmm. before like it's uh it's, it's going to be a problem it's it's going to be actually just ken and myself sitting on a discord call completely mm-hmm. quiet like not talking to each <laughs> other at all but just kind of in the same room playing baldur's mm-hmm, gate mm-hmm. 3 so to speak yeah it's gonna be great but all that being said when that is sort of like the reality of our lives there's not always really a great time to do any other new project or new thing. Um, so we kind of just picked the time that was the least bad. And mm-hmm. now that, you know, we finished 16 or mostly finished 16, um, we, we kind of had this window to maybe start picking things back up and uh, maybe like record some things like in, in bursts or whatever. So that we would be able to have those stretches of time where we are not like having to dedicate time to near and recording and can stick to our day jobs and all that fun stuff. Um, so yeah, like, this is us basically, or me, me more specifically being like, sorry it took so long, um, it's my fault, and It was not just your fault. It was, it was mostly my fault. fault. <laughs> it was both of our faults, <laughs> Kenneth. But. We don't tolerate self-flagellation <laughs> here on Normandy but, FM. But the hope is that this, this season, this well, I guess, like, as we've got mapped out over like a year long retrospective of the year series, will go on uninterrupted. Because if I have to have another jaw surgery, I might simply just stop. Mm. Just, mm. I'll just stop in mm. place. Mm-hmm. Just cease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think, uh, like Kim was saying, this was not like there was never going to be a best time so we just tried to find the most ideal time to bring it back given the honestly extremely busy year that has been 2023 Mm. both in terms of things that we cover and in terms of our our actual jobs because there is an actual job component outside of just us playing games and writing about games and uh lord knows that professionally this has been a weird year too Mm -hmm. so uh it's been it's been a lot, but this did seem, at first, like the most ideal time throughout the entire year. And then Larian said, what if we move Baldur's mm-hmm, Gate 3 mm-hmm. up a month? Thanks, Larian. I mean, look, also thanks, Larian, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a complicated emotion I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this seems like the best time to try and get a kickstart. And we also, coming out of Summer Game Fest, we're talking to a lot of folks, you know, uh, on the side being like, hey... Are you into Nier? Would you be down to podcast about Nier? And I think hearing some of the folks uh, get very passionately excited about talking about the series, a uh, little, little uh, a fire under us that might have otherwise, you know, maybe just simmered for a bit. But we decided that, you know, it feels like a good time to bring it back. We had people asking us when we were bringing Normandy FM back. We had fans of the show <laughs> amongst people there, which we love hearing. And uh, it's been really... 
really touching to see how folks still talk about the show and um, discuss it and uh, hold it in a certain place in their hearts, even when we're on such a long hiatus. So um, this is my way of also saying thank you to everybody who who patiently stuck it out and waited and uh, has enjoyed the work that we've done so far and hopefully will continue to enjoy the work that we do in the future. We really appreciate that. So on that note, let's talk about Near. And this is, if you have not been with us before, our, our first episode. So we, we kind of like to set the stage a little bit. Um, we'll talk about the the lore stuff that you need to know going into this because Near is in an interesting and unique situation as a series. Um which is arguably a spinoff of a different series and part of a larger universe. And we will talk about that in a moment, but Ken, let's start with you. What was your kind of introduction to the near series? How did you enter into it? And uh, how have you felt about it? You know, leading up to this point, starting uh, your run for Normandy, Normandy FM. Uh, so I think, I mean, like a lot of people, my first experience with it was Automata um, in 2017. It was, you know, that was a huge year of all these really big games that were coming out that everyone was, you know, the game, leading up to Game of the Year discussions was um, very prominent. And I think it was you and also friend of the show, Blake Hester, that were both like, hey, mm. you should play mm. this fucking game. Um, mm. And so I did, and I admittedly had some points where I I dragged on in that game a lot longer than I typically dragged through games at the time. Because I, and, and Frankness, was not really feeling it in a lot of ways. Um, and that had mm-hmm. less to do with, you know, the story, the vibes, the, or any of that. Like, I, it, from a mechanical standpoint, I did not love that game. And a lot of it came down to enemy design that often felt like it didn't really lend itself to, like, the really interesting, like, dynamic combat of something like akin to, like, Devil May Cry or Bayonetta. Because, um, mm-hmm. like, I, I, I mean, it's not something I really talk about that much, but, like, I loved those, like, character action games, um, especially, like, back in, like, the PS2 era, which, you know, like, Nier is not technically specifically that, but it, it at least no, but plays like one. it's a like platinum one. game. Yeah, yeah it, it certainly plays game. like one. Yeah. Um, but, it's, you know, it's maybe more structurally like an RPG. Um, but but in, the, in that way, like, the actual playing of the game just did not stick with me for, like, I would say, like, roughly... 80% of that game. You know, there were, there were a lot of boss fights that like, I remember that really stuck out. Um, but in terms of just, like, get like the moment-to-moment of that game, it did not stick with me very much. And that's why it ended up taking me so long to actually get through it. And I think the way that these games are structured in terms of, like, having, quote-unquote, multiple endings, and, like, not in the same way that a lot of our RPGs do, or, like, this sort of a branching path, but, like, like literally framing the end of certain arcs as, quote-unquote, endings... I think has been, I mean, it's, it's been brought up to some people, like some people stop at the end of ending the A and are like, oh, I finished the game. Like, no, it's not how this works. But I think it did in my head sort of like make it feel more like work than it did before, especially because, you know, one of the two of those routes are like the same thing, just through a different perspective. Um, and so like, there were just like a lot of roadblocks that I hit with that game, but I did eventually mm-hmm. finish it uh, after, you know, a, more pushing from you and Blake. And I think... My biggest takeaway from Automata was that, like, I didn't like playing it, but I think about it more than probably any game that I disliked playing ever, if that makes sense. Um, yes, like, the, I, I found the actual game itself to be fairly plotting and, like, not that interesting, but then there were very specific moments and, like, songs that I go back and listen to. Like, like just before this, I was, I was listening to Way to the World, uh, the end of Yora edition, 
um, just, like, get in the headspace. And so that's, like, my main, like, framing of these games is that, like, I, I, despite the fact that I did not, like, play them, I hold them in some level of regard because, like, I think about them enough and I think about moments enough that, like, clearly that something stuck with me. Something touched my soul in one way or another. And not to, like, get too ahead of ourselves, but I think, like, Replicant is actually doing a bit more on that front that is making me enjoy playing it more than I did Automata. And I don't know if that's going to be, like, the case mm-hmm. by the time we, we, we finish the whole series, but I'm at least, like, it, it does not feel like I'm hitting those same, like, that, that same slow down, that same feeling of, like, oh, this is, like, a drag for me to play. So, on that note, I guess, like, I'm, I, I am interested just to see, like, where I actually end up falling on these games as a whole by the end because like right now it is that like I enjoyed this but like with all these caveats like all these asterisks next to that statement um so yeah I'm, I'm interested to see like if it can completely turn me around to loving it the way that other people love it yeah I um I had kind of a similar entrance uh I played I think very offhandedly I just saw that there was a demo for a game called Near Automata and it looked neat and and this is before the game ever came out. I think I hold, on, hold on, hold on, real quick, real quick, real quick. Uh huh. We've already pronounced it twice in different ways. How do you pronounce? Like, how do we pronounce the second game in the series? Is that is it automata or automata? I I, said I automata say automata, and, but I look. I understand that I'm probably wrong in saying it that way. That is probably. I I say it that way because it looks like automatic to me, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I just cut out the the tick at the end. Uh, but also automata is probably like automation like autonomous. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I, I don't know that I've ever heard it officially pronounced mm. somewhere by like Yoko Taro or somebody. So <laughs> I'd, I'd have to do some, some research. But. This is going to be the, the new Titus where we ask every guest, like, how do you pronounce the, the name? Of yeah. The how game? do you pronounce the name of the second game? <laughs> Wait till we get to replicant. <laughs> so, um, Anyways, yeah, so Automata, I, I played the demo for it, uh, really loved it. For those who who never played it back then, it was basically the prologue to the game, uh, which we will obviously cover, but goes all the way up to the uh, black box moment at the end of the very beginning of that game. That was a very confusing way to phrase that. <laughs> and uh, I, I played that, and I was like, what did I just play? There were like shooter segments and then action segments and then these giant boss fights and this really surprisingly emotional moment at the end and and what is this game and so i had very high hopes going into automata and i do think that it held up like it, it instantly became one of my favorite games of that year and a year that was already very stacked with games like persona 5 breath of the wild mm-hmm. uh rampa v3 shout outs uh <laughs> It's it's something that I think really resonated with me. Uh, you mentioned Way to the World, but I think like the entire plot of that game resonates with me in a really powerful way. And, uh, and not like an overly complex way either, which I kind of enjoy. It's just a very simple and direct message of mm. hope and goodness that has really meant a lot to me over the years. And so we'll talk about that when we get to the end of yorha and the end of automata you know <laughs> months possibly a year from now but <laughs> uh i then you know obviously got really into the series really enjoyed it i wanted to play the first near but i heard um 
you know, it was one that was on my back burner for a long time. I'd never found an easy way to play it. And then eventually they announced uh, the the remaster uh, Replicant. And so I figured that that was the best way to do it. Played Replicant. And I love that one a lot, too. I love it for different reasons than I love Automata. Uh, And I think dissecting those might not only lead us to interesting conclusions, but also uh, I think it'll be interesting hearing why you're latching onto this one a little bit more because I, I have a hunch why that might be and why you might continue to like Replicant more than Automata. Uh, and I'm interested to see if that pans out. But I, it's not all that strange to hear. We actually have a few guests who, when we reached out to them, were very much like, oh, I'm an Automata fan more than a Replicant fan, or I'm a Replicant fan more than mm-hmm. Automata. Like, they like both of them, but there does seem to be a level of you take certain things away from these games and one ends up speaking to you more than the other. Like one, both are still very good games and, and I, I think they're both extremely good games, but one will end up being just that it, it has that little edge. It has that little something that, that carries it over for you. And it depends on which game, unless you're like Jesse Vitelli and you just love all of near, mm. <laughs> uh, but we'll we'll get into it. We've got plenty of guests lined up that we're very excited for. We do have to set the table a little bit. So Near is a 2010 video game, a 2010. Yes, we are actually going back in time instead of just jumping back to Cyberpunk <laughs> like we did for the last season. Um, it is uh, originally released. Oh wait, 2010. Yeah, no, I was right. I was thinking of uh, a different game. Yeah, so 2010 was the Nier series. Drakengard, its predecessor, was 2003. So to kind of lay this all out, Drakengard is a series that was made by Kavia, and then eventually I think Access Games was the studio that took up uh, Drakengard 3. And they are games within the, the world here within the world of each other but have a very loose connection but still play into each other in very important ways and we can discuss more of those later on in the series once we have unveiled some secrets and things like that but uh the important thing to note is that dragon guard one uh first of all that game has multiple endings much like Near does, and we'll be going through all the ending, all the the story critical endings. I'm not going to cover the one where you eat a fish and blow up and die, even though it's a great ending, and and more games should end that way. Uh, Tracking Guard One, uh, in which you play as a boy and his dragon who hate each other. Uh, <laughs> you uh, you you go through all these different endings where you find different ways to to fight and destroy the big bad evil, and in ending E specifically. Uh, you go through a portal to fight the the evil queen, and you wind up in a different world, uh, a realistic world, potentially our world? Question mark. And you have one big final boss fight in which you and your dragon pal defeat the queen, and then you win. The queen is turned into this white, crystalline state, I guess, like like this giant almost pillar of salt and you celebrate for a moment and then are shot down by two fighter jets. And that's the end of Drakengard. I'm not joking. That's the end of Drakengard. <laughs> really uplifting. I think 
Um, yeah, reminding us all that the true power in every fantasy story is a Harrier jet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, that's really all we need to know right now going into this is that there was at one point a boy, a dragon, and a giant creature of of great power that was turned to a pillar of white salt uh over the city of tokyo uh, i believe it was tokyo i'm double checking that right mm-hmm. now yeah. uh because eric was smart and pulled up his notes before he started talking about dragon card <laughs> it was tokyo. um yeah it was modern day tokyo uh and you destroy her in a rhythm game which is very funny um I just love that there are always these moments where it's the very end of the very last ending of the last part of this game and, and Yoko Taro and crew are like, let's incorporate a rhythm game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Um, so that sets the stage for Nier. And and to also be clear, we are talking about Nier Replicant on this uh, pod. There are multiple different versions of the first Nier in the first original release of the 2010 year, there were actually two different versions of that game uh, featuring two different lead characters, uh, colloquially referred to as Papa Nier and Brother Nier. Uh, Brother Nier was the one who uh, was featured in the Japan section, or in, in the Japanese release, I should say. Uh, Papa Nier was what we got over here in the US. Uh, I'm not sure which one Europe got, now that I think about it, but... Uh, that was an important distinction because as we will soon discuss in the text, it, it didn't change anything too massive, but what it did change was that the main character was either the father of, or the brother of the, the character Yona. So Nier was either Yona's brother or Yona's father. Uh, and there was a different character model that you played as and, it was honestly a little strange (laughs) and uh it does lend i think a different tone to a lot of the scenes in near when you get down to it um i personally feel that it's if i was going to make a comparison brother near's story feels like fully cooly whereas papa near's story feels like the last of us and uh that is And to be clear, nothing about that story functionally changes. It's just that there is a Mm. different character with a different viewpoint on things. But I do think that changes the text by nature of that. So um, there are references to Papaneer in uh, Replicant, which is the remastered version and the one we are playing. But Replicant basically unified and said, we are doing uh, the Brother Nier story. yeah, I don't know. Ken, do you wish you were playing a papa? <laughs> I mean, for the sake of, like, the material of this show, no, not really, because, like, we, we already did the dad game. Um, I think it's just, like, it's interesting for me to hear... It, it's interesting for me to hear you say that functionally nothing changes when it seems like... I mean, I guess, like, in terms of what the character is trying to accomplish and it's, like, what they're, like, what they care about in the world, I guess things don't really change, but, like, I would just imagine that the relationship would change in some way and, like, it would be, like, demonstrably different. Granted, like, what from what I've played so far, Brother Nier does, have, like, treat Yona in a very, like, caregiver kind of way. So I guess, like, again, like, functionally, maybe those things are the same. It does make me interested, like, maybe 
at some point, like, go watch, like, a YouTube compilation of, like, how they're different or, like, how some scenes are different, if at all. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, basically, like, and the funny part is this was not, like, some grand design in terms of, like, oh, secret versions of the story, and this is part of the grand plan to like hide some greater truth within these games, you know, the people, the, the way people like to get involved with ARG mysteries around these games, because obviously they do lend themselves to, to some of that. They have some mystique about them, some obfuscation of details that lends itself well to speculating about what may or may not be happening in this world and whether there might be secrets hidden around every corner. And, the reason there were two characters designs was uh, specifically because the the developers believed that a Japanese audience would respond strongly to a younger protagonist, while non-Japanese audiences would prefer an adult protagonist. And so other than changing the appearance and modifying a few lines of dialogue to fit with uh, Papanir being a dad rather than a brother to Yona, uh, there were no other actual real changes. Uh, so... <laughs> it's mm. it's kind of wild it's kind of interesting um, i guess in a, I, I guess we'll, like we'll see as the game goes on because that also just makes me curious about like Nier's relationship to other characters not just you know like i don't know like mm. if it's going to be like I, I mean again like we have not really met that many characters as far as we played yet so like, i would just be curious to see like if like what tone those relationships that Nier has with other people might take depending on if they are a teenager or a 30-something-year-old man. Yeah, that could be why I said that one version of this game feels like Fooly Cooly. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, well, we'll talk about that when we get there. But with all that set, with all that laid out, we open up on a snowy, dilapidated city in the summer of 2053. Uh, two, two younger children are hiding out in a department store as this white substance rains down from the sky. Uh, we Which hear I'm learning now is not snow, apparently. Eh, it could be snow. Or some queen monster that fucking disintegrated to over say? Tokyo. Who's to say? Uh, a voice whispers to take my power, to take it and save someone. And the kid wakes up to see a book, which he violently kicks across the room. And then big old monsters show up, and we're immediately into the action. Our MC is caring for a small girl who seems sickly. He picks up a pipe. He goes out to deal with the monsters. And we're immediately in the action, Ken. How are you feeling? We're into it already. No long prologue here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, looking back at this scene, I don't feel like i get it i mean it feels like you know it's a um immediate red sort of thing because like we did all this leveling up in the middle of the fight and then immediately went to a point where it seems much weaker and i'm like I, this is just my perception of these things thus far um i immediately started digging the combat in this game more than automatas just because like the what are they called the, the shades or as they're called mm-hmm. these enemies mm-hmm. like they just had like different behavioral patterns and like things that felt more engaging to deal with than, like, the, the little bots that you fight through the majority of Automata. So it was immediately interesting on that front, like, just from a mechanical sense, I was already more into this than I was most encounters of the, of the other game. I think, and I mean, and we'll obviously, like, 
kind of talk about it as, as we go. The thing that, was, uh, that immediately stuck out to me is that my understanding of what Nier as a franchise is is just completely, like, very small. Because, like, this does not feel like the very sci-fi RPG. Like, you know, a lot of robots and other bullshit mm. automata. Mm. And now this is, like, there's, like, some sort of supernatural element here. So immediately, like, and I, you, you can see some of the, uh, like, mechanical parallels, even if, like, the actual framing is different. Because, like, you've, you've got this book that you're, you know, that you're working with that basically functions yeah, the same you, way as a pod you eventually get your your butt kicked by the shades and then turn to the book for a desperate play for power to protect your sister yona and and the book kind of floats up and and if you've played near automata but haven't played replicant it, it kind of almost sits in the same spot that the pod does right it kind of floats behind you and follows you mm-hmm. and it was um actually i have a, a setting on my, on my on my dual sense edge controller um that like basically I put the I, I mapped whatever button you have to hold down to um make the book shoot like the pod does um to the back so like I could still like basically just to make it where I was never having to not have that thing shooting at enemies um and so yeah like I, my biggest takeaway immediately was that like I have no actual concept of what near is or what it can be um. And so that is just, like, immediately more interesting to me that, like, oh, this is not going to be, like, more of the, the thing that I played once and did not love. But, like, oh, there's actually a lot more going on in this world and, like, actual a lot of mysteries to discover in a, a setting that is clearly bigger than I thought it was. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things that if, if you're coming from Automata and you're jumping into Replicant, you're going to immediately notice that it's not quite sci-fi. It's also, I wouldn't call it fantasy in the high fantasy sense, mm. you know, but... Supernatural. Yeah, yeah. I think once we get into the, the section after this, where you are in this, this town, the village, that uh, ends up becoming your hub of sorts, then it's much more fantasy, fantasy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I think right here, this opening in the department store is very intriguing in and of itself because you are doing these things that will feel a lot like, Oh, I'm shooting bullets, but they're like magical bullets. Mm -hmm. I'm shooting magical spikes and I've got this book and I'm kind of doing, even your attacks are very fantasy, right? You're not like firing missiles or, or or a gun or whatever, but you have uh, what is essentially a sword. It'll feel very similar to the way that to be wields, uh, her signature katana in in automata and all that is to say i do think the shades are more interesting to fight than mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the robots i think that is textual in a way uh at least in terms of automata like a lot of robots you fight in automata are not always um like war machines mm-hmm. let's say um and i think in the same way that like shades end up being these really interesting enemies uh, because of the ways they tie into the text. And so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss more of that much later uh, in the, in the season, but yeah, it's, it's this in media res opening where already we have these themes of real world, but dilapidated, destroyed, um, you know, something is, is haunting is, is, is destroying the world around us. Uh, we have these shades that appear and attack uh, are clearly 
antagonistic towards humans, or at least these humans. And we have this offering of power, this this Faustian bargain that our our character ends up making in order to defend his sister, who is clearly ailing in some way. So after we destroy all these shades, um, we head back inside, and Yona has found a cookie and decides she wants to split it with us. Um, and, and we insist that, no, no, you eat all of it. But she says, no, no, eat eat half of it. Um, and then at this point, we see some glyphs on her skin and, and some black fog coming from them. She had touched the book. Uh, she says that uh, our character, uh, the one we were playing as, has always been the one protecting her, so she wanted to protect us. And she passes out, and we get a big, no! <laughs> like, <laughs> classic scream. Um, and then fuck that shit, 1,412 years later, let's jump ahead <laughs> to... yeah. What the fuck? Mir and Yona in a bedroom, just hanging out and talking. Yona's still sick. Um, yeah, Ken, how you feel about this so far? <laughs> I. So I mean, clearly, like, my expectation here is that like that time frame is meant to fuck with me in some way, and or like just to mm. tell me that there is something that I do not understand about either these characters or this world, mm. um, or both, or both perhaps, um. Because, like, it, it, honestly, like, the the time period that we get to feels like it's in the past, um, mm-hmm. comparatively speaking. Um, so what the fuck? I don't know. That that was a, a whole thing that they did. Yeah. That I'm curious yeah, to would, unpack at some point. I would say that's a big old put a pin in it, you know? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a big old we will address that eventually. Uh, some pieces of it you will learn sooner than you think and some pieces you will learn much later in the story i would also say that honestly near replicant overall a pretty short game uh, all things considered uh, mm. i think actually getting through the story doesn't take that long uh the longest parts of this game tends to be um you know forewarning for those of you who are playing at home you want to be knocking those side quests out as you go uh because certain side quests are required to get certain weapons in the game and you will need certain weapons uh, to unlock the C and D endings, specifically. Uh, for some reason, and this is a carryover from Drakengard, I believe, that they got rid of for Near Automata. Uh, there was basically, they, they tied completion percentage and side quest completion percentage to weapons that you achieve. So rather than getting a certain number of side quests done or doing the right number of box ticking, uh, you just have to get a certain number of weapons, but they do carry over uh, in playthroughs. So if you do them early, then you're knocking them out early. You won't have to do them later, uh, and you won't have to run into some walls that exist. But uh, yeah, yeah, be be aware of that. Do do your side quests. You don't need to do all of them. Usually, if they're like a turn in X number of warthog skins or whatever it is that you have to turn into people though those aren't critical but if, they, if they've got some meat on the bones you know maybe maybe knock those out um there are also guides out there to be clear they're they're very useful i think rpg site actually shout out so that they have a very useful uh spoiler free uh guide to seeing all the endings of near replicant 
uh, that will just guide you very well without spoiling anything. So uh, shout-outs to those who, who have great resources like that. Um, anyways, we flash forward. Nier, our main character, and Yona are in a bedroom. Uh, Nier is heading out for the day. Yona still seems sick, wants to come with us, but... Uh, we're we're going hunting, so it's probably best that the the sick child does not try to hunt animals. <laughs> uh, but we'll bring a book back from the library. Uh, uh, so we leave, and Nier decides to go see Papala at the library. Oh, Papala, huh? She's here too. Ken, do you remember Papala from from Nier Automata? Absolutely not. Yeah. Wait, hold no, on, it's... hold on, hold on. Mm. Maybe. Mm. Granted, to be in my defense, they did not have like a close up of her in all of the section. So if I were to recognize her, it would not have been in the one like the one shot that they have of her in the front of the game. Well, Devila and Popla, to be clear, they're kind of uh, mm, yeah, yeah, okay. two two parts of the same whole. But I actually have a, a image on hand that I can share from the near Automata anime adaptation, um, in which mm, they. Uh, mm-hmm. They also appear. Right. Uh, yes. I know. Yes. They are here too. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. My like uh, my like vague understanding of like certain connections between replicant and automata. Because like, I, I have like a, a vague like line here in my in my notes just about the library because I remember the library in automata and I remember that being told to me as like having a connection to the original game. And so, like, mm. I'm just immediately, like, wondering about that place. And mm. now that it's been, like, now that the, the line has been drawn, Papa in this game and the next game, mm-hmm. that that connection feels more distinct to me. And I'm just curious to see that actually unfold. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how that would all unfold with itself. Mm. Curious. <laughs> mm. see like now you get to be on the other side of the shit like this is, this is like the normandy fm experience is completely inverse where i know uh-huh. all the shit about the uh-huh. game that we played up to this point and now it, you have to listen to me just like ponder things and not knowing the full context of shit and just having like I, mm, mm, what what about that we'll have to talk about that another day I do think it's really interesting to approach the series from the perspective of having played Automata but not having played Replicant and going back to Replicant because I think in some ways it's like you are... I hear a lot of people argue for one or the other, especially now that both are very readily available. People will be like, oh, play Replicant first and then play Automata. And I understand why that might help with the chronology of some things, but... I do think that there is there is a feeling I got of playing Replicant and seeing the ways in which these lines get laid out, these ties get made, uh, that made me appreciate Automata more. Uh, mm. And I don't think that's... I don't think I would have to replay. I mean, I'm excited to replay Automata. Um, it'll be my first time replaying it since I originally beat it. And... I, I don't think that you need to have full context for everything to appreciate Automata on its own merits, but I do think that playing Replicant made me appreciate Automata more for the ways in which mm. it carries on the story, but doesn't necessarily feel beholden to the previous story either, um, mm. and, and is able to stand on its own merits too. So that's what I'll say about that. But... um. 
We also have loading screens, and they're actually somewhat important here because, yes, as you know in your notes, Ken, uh, some are diary entries from Yona. We will also see other diary entries as the game goes on. Put a pin in that. And <laughs> they're not all Yona entries, but I do think it's it's interesting that uh, playing this in a way where the loading screens go too fast can actually sort of hamper some of the storytelling and teasing that they do with the ways that they, they put things down and, and the things that they mention in them. Uh, I think there's, again, this is a game, if you've played Automata, you know that there's a lot of attention paid to the detail, to the margins, to the uh, to the to the ways in which you can tell a story that isn't just putting a cutscene in front of you, but what if banal things can can twist and change and do something different. So um, I think loading screens are an interesting way in which uh, they use that as a storytelling device at, at several points. Honestly, many points, now that I think about it, throughout the game. So they are important. Do read those. Um, we, we go and find Papala and that's how Yona's doing. Uh, tell her the cough is still bad. Um, say we feel like we're failing her, but Papala assures us that we're doing the best we can and that she has a job for us. Someone in the shopping district needs some mutton from the Northern Plains, baby. Let's go punch some goats <laughs> and come back with the most MMO-ass quest. Final Fantasy sixteen is blushing. Um, yeah, it's very... It's very straightforward. It's it's very direct. We go and and punch some stuff. Uh, we also buy some herbs. Uh, and and she gives us too much money. We end up buying some for Yona as well. Um, Yona has left to go to the library to find some books, potentially books that could uh help cure her sickness. And we get a little bit of world building in the process where we learn that near. Uh, or, or Nier says, I should say, Nier, Nier informs us that a plague has covered the world and monsters known as Shades have been attacking people. So that's kind of the two, and those are two separate things, to be clear. There is a plague, um, and there's also the Shades. And uh, no one really knows what's up, but Nier is persisting and trying to solve all of it. Uh, how do you like getting your shit rocked by the goats, Ken? <laughs> that was fucked up, actually. <laughs> I I love that. It is a rite of passage in your replicant that you approach a goat from behind and it just fucking donkey kicks you <laughs> and blasts you backwards. Rude as it's hell. So good. I Man, I fucked um, him up after, so like you know, who's laughing now? Yeah, Near can't take a donkey kick. Near can't swim. Importantly. Nope. Uh, Yo, okay, hold on. This is something actually that, like, because we obviously, like, I've been playing this similar or like in a similar time as I've been playing Final Fantasy 16. More fucking action games need to make it where like sprint is never restricted, because like mm. I, I've been having this like frustration with 16 is that like Clive is a slow moving man the second he's like near civilization, but when you're in like the more like oh, quote unquote open sections, like he'll like start doing the sprint. But like you can't activate that yourself. Where near like you could just run through everything, and it's like every game needs to be like really respectful of your time. I don't give a shit about like any sort of like tone you're trying to set. I need Clive and his slutty little waist to be sprinting through a village. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I think uh, the ways in which this game lets you kind of do 
action game stuff through much of the the opening is i mean not the opening through much of the the like world and 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 moving around it uh you do pretty quickly begin to develop a i guess speed runners habit of doing mm-hmm. like dashes and stuff mm-hmm. like that um you get in the rhythm of like jump you... dashing like you're like yeah you're, jump you're, dashing yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, i watched you like roll through half of this game when you were playing <laughs> uh some of this section uh you're just rolling everywhere rolling around the speed of sound you know got places to go mm-hmm. gotta follow my rainbow um anyways we head back check on yona after we turn in all the button uh and uh yona has finished all the books she's got so she wants to hear a new story um oh that's after we we uh take her home um she, she's just uh been reading the whole day she wants to hear a new story so we tell her a story about uh a legendary uh or papla sorry i'm getting so confused <laughs> we tell her a story that Pablo told us about a legendary flower called a lunar tear uh, that will apparently make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. And Yona asks if it could make her better. We could buy good medicine at least. So, Hey, look, commerce still exists in this mm-hmm. world. <laughs> um, um, and uh, the answer seems unclear and Yona seems upset, but just kind of goes to sleep. And, uh, that's that. So we wake up the next day. We're heading out to Popola's again. Another day, rise and grind for near. Never losing that grind set. <laughs> um, tells Yona to stay out of trouble. Popola says she's got a job, but it's a bit of an ordeal. Uh, there's a wooden bridge in the Northern Plains. Uh, a team of carpenters was working on repairing it, uh, but they were attacked by shades. Um, it was sunny over there. And so, yeah important thing um to note just a little, a little note about shades interesting curious um one of the carpenters was injured they can't move him with the shades out there so we've got to go out take out some shades um and and head back uh pretty straightforward pretty pretty reasonable just, so far we're doing a lot of just like little quests right yeah just, I was... just hanging out just vibing I was going to ask, like, just so I can mentally prepare myself moving forward, are a lot of, like, the side quests and such just kind of that? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Just just be ready for it. I think okay. some of them are a bit, as a, as a certain character from Xenoblade 3 would say, are a bit meatier, but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's, I, I think, a, a broad number of, I, I mean, even just the quests in Nier, uh, I don't think it's, like, let me put it this way, there's n- no... F- is there fast travel? I don't think there's fast travel. <laughs> um, but I will say that everything is pretty connected. Um, the the hubs that you tend to move between are pretty close to each other. And and I, when I mean close to each other, I mean like not more than an additional map's length away. So there, you've already done kind of one section of this game where you leave the hub area, your your town, go into a connecting area, and then there's an exit from that area that leads into the area that you need to head to for the story, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's maybe only one place in this game that has more than one connecting area between it and the hub town. Um, everything is still pretty condensed in this world uh, at the end of the day. And it's not, it's ultimately not that large of a world either. 
Um, and there are ways you can get around it a little bit faster. You can like ride on some of the animals to do that faster. Um, Near already has a pretty fast run speed. So mm. uh, I feel like there is a lot of traversing in this game, but if you're doing, if you're also doing side quests while you're getting them, you're doing them while you're in the hub area already. And it's very, very rare that these quests will ask you to like, Oh, you're in this place and we need you to go here, here and here uh, to, to do this thing. It's very rare that that stuff will come up. Mm. Usually they tend to be very like centrally located towards the, the, the hub areas that you are in. So mm. I, I think it's, there's a little bit of running, but if you're like smart about it, you stay up on it. it shouldn't be that bad. Um, I, I say this having just played a lot of games like, say, Final Fantasy 16, where you do have to do a lot of like fast traveling back and forth. Mm. And if that game did not have fast travel, it would feel noticeably rougher. Um, so I will also say that, again, part of this does feel like it's kind of setting you up for like, like, like it's it's giving you some level of slice of life, day in the life sort of thing. This is what mm-hmm. Nier and Yona have been doing day to day in this town. Four thousand years. Um, yeah, it's supposed to set you into this feeling of um, routine, so that way it can potentially mm-hmm. upend it. <laughs> um, so we get we get paid, and Pablo says Yona stopped by, even though she was supposed to stay home. Uh, and Yona was asking a question about the outside world beyond the village and was apparently very excited about whatever it might be. But Popola reminded her she's not allowed beyond the gates. So we get home and Yona's nowhere to be found. We head back to the library, not there either. Popola says that Yona was asking about the lunar tears and that they used to grow in the lost shrine. Near wonders aloud why she's asking about these flowers, then realizes she wants that cash. Yona's mm-hmm. also on that grind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yona does not rest. So we head out to the shrine to go find her. Uh, so we head to the Eastern Gate. This is one of those connecting areas. Uh, we, we do get Yona's ribbon on the ground as we head that way. Um, but this is kind of one of those connecting areas that we run into. We head around a rock slide uh, and head to the Lost Shrine, which is this giant yeah it's like this tower in the middle of this like broken down city right i love the approach of it every time when you're walking down that long bridge and there's that that big almost spire rising up in front of you right like how did you feel when you when you got here for the first time i think it it more i mean i i say confused and i have like a negative connotation i think it has more made me curious about the state of this work because like it's very much like modern architecture and mm-hmm. um concrete bars and 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 like yeah. these these um steel beams poking through clearly used to connect massive structures yeah yeah and so i guess i'm just more like more wondering like the timeline of this and like what is the actual state of this world and i know it's not like and like, like we've kind of like talked about this like i know like the very literal connection from replicant to automata is not like the point per se, but that is, I think, because like I said at the beginning, like I, I think like my immediate takeaway from this game so far has been like my what my understanding of what near is, is mm. very small, and like I feel like it is rapidly expanding with this game, and I think that is just like as we've been talking about it, I think that is like the biggest mystery to me thus far is like I want to understand like the state of this world and how we get from one game to the other and 
Replicant has just been a series of confusing events on that front. And so I am, and this was just like another example of like the world being different than what I thought it was and me just being curious as to what that's going to look like at the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely get hints that, you know, it, it's maybe not, you even saw them when you were out in the Northern Plains, there were kind of these like almost bridge-like structures that existed that were these massive bits of iron and pillars and stuff like that, that were, um, sticking up out of the ground, jutting up out of the ground. You can kind of see off in the distance, there's like scaffolding and stuff like that. There's there, they mean nothing to the people that are living there right now, as it Mm. seems, even the buildings that like the library that Popola lives in is not wholly unmodern. You know, it's, Mm. it's got lights in it. It's, um, they're, the the bookshelves are very ornate they're they're like designed well they're not just like the, the way that you look in uh near and yona's house there's kind of these like alcoves carved into the stone but everything in in the library is very neatly designed looks man-made um mm-hmm. so i it, there's there's a lot of like really great world building that that is done through the design of these worlds in, in these mm-hmm. games and i think uh your replicant honestly maybe does a better version of it than automata does i think automata is is so like from the jump you are on the destroyed earth right so Mm. you very clearly know what's going on but there's not that like outside of a few areas there's not that like sense of nature and i think the the intermixing the the mingling of nature and man-made uh does become important in both Mm. games but uh, it is really interesting to see here because it's so visually distinct. And again, that that the way it's just rising out of this chasm and you're walking across this long bridge to get to it always just gets me. I I, I think it's great. Um, so we head inside. And we get our first kind of like dungeon. It's it's mm. it's a pretty traditional dungeon. You know, we're we're running around, we're picking up keys, we're unlocking doors, shades are yeah. spawning. Uh, there's pickups like like uh, different chests we can open for for healing items. Uh, we're we're doing a dungeon ass dungeon right here, and yeah. I will tell you this is also going to be a pretty distinct difference from Automata. Is that Automata kind of had combat encounters like in classic character action sense, whereas right. this is going to have a bit more of like dungeons. Right. Um, like, there have been a few instances where like I I'm reminded like oh right near the original is like a 13 year old game and Mm -hmm. um not necessarily in like bad ways but just like in certain like design philosophies and ways that it lays out shit um like it's it's it's, like you said it's a fairly standard dungeon but like there's just like silly things like oh we found this fucking key to the access to another room on the other side of the building but it was like in a random box on one side and shit like having fucking save points in a 2021 remake of a game it's like oh right this is building off something that's kind of got some antiquated parts to it. Um, mm. And, I, like, I don't really know, like, what the... What, if at all, the sort of um, differences were between the original game and Replicant in terms of, like, how much they modernized. Um, because, like, there are just points where I'm like, oh, right, this game is a little old. Um, and that just yeah. sticks out to me. Yeah, I, mm, I won't keep quiet on this part. Mm, okay. <laughs> I will say that between the original and Replicant, uh, it seems like they maintained the same design sense behind a lot of these. Mm. Uh, but I will also say that, I don't know, keep playing. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, we also run through a lot of shades. By the way, Yona, secretly a boss, secretly a combat god. Mm-hmm. How'd she get through these shades? Um, anyways, we we fight through. We get to one of the higher floors. We do the classic, the wonderful tutorial of uh, moving the box over so we can hop up onto that ledge. And let me tell you, you don't have to do that a few times in this game. Right. <laughs> um, we get to the final floor, the top. We use our. We haven't talked about the save points yet, by the way. We use our save points uh, to to uh, get ready for the the big obvious boss room that we're about to walk into. And uh, yeah, this game does have save points. Uh, I think there's also some pretty generous auto saving if you do die during a boss fight or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was one of the replicant updates, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, that they yeah. give you some more generous auto saving around some of the bosses so that you don't necessarily have to endure large scenes over and over again. Um, I could be misremembering that, but I. I I personally felt like some of the bosses that I did end up dying on in this game, uh, it was a pretty generous autosave that I was given to to jump back. So uh, we head inside, and Yona is unconscious behind a barrier, and uh, it's a very strange room we walk into. So Yona is unconscious on this almost like throne sort of situation. Mm. Um, there are these two large guardian things that look like giant faces and suspended between them is a book and there's a barrier around them and then while while all this is there there are also a bunch of shades they're just constantly spawning and populating this area like you are just having to blast or, or slash through i should say because important note while we had book powers at the beginning we do not have book throughout all of the the time jump forward until now uh, we have just been near with sword, not near with sword and book. <laughs> and so we we uh, keep getting pointed towards the barrier, which we try to smack with our sword. Uh, and then finally it falls down. We can reach Yona at this point, but Yona's not responding. And the book starts floating and talking. And it asks us to stop talking, to stop attacking it. And Nier's like, just move then. <laughs> like, Nier is 100% on the save Yona train, is not going to be paused by a so, talking book. So I initially, and I think this is like, as we're, we've been talking about in this episode, I think it, like the specifics of the time jump are like more like clear in my head. Because like when I initially saw that scene and assumed, or I think like my mind has naturally assumed like, oh, the scene is before he has to like know what the, before he knows what the book is and he has a fucking beef with it in the opening segment. Um, so, like, when he was just like, then move. Like, I was like, oh, that's, like, I didn't know if that was meant to be just, like, very, like, dry humor, like, very blunt. Like, uh, this kid's, like, not even phased by a talking book. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it, I was like, oh, right. But, like, he had a problem with the book a thousand years ago. And so, like, now I'm just, like, again, like, a lot of, a lot of like, gaps in my knowledge right now as to like mm. what i'm supposed to read this scene as um mm-hmm. mm. curious mm-hmm. yeah yeah very curious <laughs> i love this this is great <laughs> for me now i know what it's like to be on the other end of this <laughs> it's been so long uh it's it's wonderful no i mm. Mm. 
put pins in that. I guess. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we start fighting the shades and more and more of them are spawning. And meanwhile, this book is just monologuing. He is Grimoire Vice, the great, powerful, arcane book who could speak magic into the world and rend this place down to its rafters. And oh my God, a Grimoire Vice is a lot. Um, so we keep fighting shades and clearly it becomes obvious that we're not going to be able to, to overcome the horde without the book's help. So finally we're like, fine, shut up, give us help. But he can't because we accidentally beat the memory of his powers out of him. So now we get this segment where we can regain his powers by defeating enemies. Um, essentially by acquiring the words of the spell. Um, by beating the bejesus out of these enemies. Uh, it's a very loose loose thing, but they do justify leveling and experience in some way, or at least gaining new powers from defeating enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we finally have our book. We have our magic bullet stream, as it were. We take out the shades. I, I noticed that you... Uh, remapped the the buttons so that way it wasn't awkward to hold down the fire button while slashing mm-hmm. in this game uh shout outs to back paddles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then the two sets of armor come to life and we gradually start relearning and uh reacquiring power and dealing with these armor uh it's an interesting fight i think it's a cool fight uh it's it's pretty basic i'm not gonna lie um you know very straightforward to just big enemies that you got to kind of dodge and then attack their weak points and they they have the barriers that pop up every now and then right where one of them will be invincible and the other won't be um so you got to kind of switch targets if i remember correctly um Mm. but it's uh it's pretty straightforward i i I don't feel ken maybe you can speak this is your first time but i don't feel like the game has has ramped up the challenge yet here no um been fairly reasonable but i also like have some experience with the genre so it's like it, it mm-hmm. feels very simple okay I, I imagine that if somebody was like kind of new to these kind of games um it, it might be a little bit more challenging but uh yeah it was fairly straightforward otherwise mm-hmm. so once we take them out we run to yona yona has come to and she apologizes she just wanted to help she wanted to find the lunar tier um we couldn't find the lunar tier which yona, yona is upset about Nier also apologizes, you know, all, all around, you know, tear, tearful reunion. Uh, but the shrine starts to shake and Y says, we got to get out of here. So we, we escape from the shrine, um, get out of there. And as we escape, as we make it across the bridge and out, uh, we realize that glyphs have started appearing on Yona's skin. Um, familiar looking glyphs mm-hmm. even, uh, Nier is very confused about this and Weiss calls it the Black Scrawl and asks when the sickness started to happen and Nier says the coughing started about a month or so ago. Which isn't true! I don't get it! Mm. Weiss says what she has is fatal and Nier says he knows. And that is the end of this section, baby! <laughs> that is the conclusion of this section of Normandy FM, which, uh, yeah, I feel like this is a very, you know, it's, it's a shorter episode. I will say this is probably mm. one of the shortest segments that we have 
to play in, in all of our, our playtime, but it's a pretty straightforward section. That's the nice part about New Replicant is like, I, I know I am forewarning you about all these side quests that you'll have to do, but honestly, mm. it's a pretty straightforward game. It's a pretty mm. direct game. I, maybe it's because we're coming off of Cyberpunk, but we're not going to have to deal with as much open world nonsense right. as we did then. <laughs> uh, how are you feeling, Ken, about all the mysteries and such that we have laid out? I'm just confused. I just... Mm. It, it wasn't a month ago. I, I don't. I don't. And like, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what they are. Like, I, I'm. I'm. I'm just confused. I, I want to know why I seem to know more about this young man's life than he does at this point. Mm. It's confusing. I, I think it's it's supposed to be a game that sets up a lot of mysteries early mm-hmm. and sets them up much earlier than I would say Nier Automata does. Again, Nier Automata, outside of the, the black box opening, which obviously you, you would then have questions about how that transpires afterwards and all that. But mm. even then, they kind of explain that stuff pretty quick. Yeah. And there's there's a lot more like... I think Replicant does a more interesting setup of the mysteries of the world faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to, this next section we're heading into for those playing at home, uh, we'll be doing our first visit to the Airy, which is very short, very quick in and out. Uh, we'll be heading to the seafront for, for a quick sojourn. And we'll also be uh, helping to establish a shop at the junk heap. Uh, so we'll kind of be doing uh, those three, early hub quests that that kind of take you to the three different uh areas that we'll be visiting uh pretty frequently throughout the game i'd say in total if i'm counting right there's about five or six like town style areas that that have big quests and story beats attached to all them and we're meeting kind of the first three of them uh in this next section but but very brief sojourn so we kind of tied them all together before we head to the the big the big area um but lots of stuff to look into lots of stuff to to poke at and ken i gotta say it feels good to be back at it <laughs> for those of you at home who may not know we are norm dfm a retrospective podcast we do have a patreon patreon.com slash norm dfm where you can go support us and all the things we do. We, uh, if, if you're new, we basically treat it like a tip jar. Ken and I both have day jobs. Uh, we both do work that is our own. This is not the way that we sustain ourselves. But if you like the work we do, uh, we always appreciate if you're willing to, to chip in a little bit. Uh, if you do do that, you get access to our special backer Discord, where you can hang out and chat with other listeners about the show. Uh, and if you back at the Ken, what level is it again that we do the uh, episodes as soon as you're done editing them? Uh, five dollars. Hey, if you back at the five dollar level, you get these episodes as soon as Ken is done editing them, versus uh, having to wait on the free feed. So that's a little bonus that we put there for those who who like to chip in extra. But uh, this is a still freely available show. We uh, we do this for the love of the game, not not for anything else. So. Uh, <laughs> We appreciate you no matter how you support us. You can also head over to twitter.com slash normdfmshow for as long as Twitter continues to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, uh, yeah, you know, we, we post updates there. We post some, you know, shit posts and stuff every now and then. Uh, Ken and I have not really looked into the ways in which we might consider moving our social presence 
onto other platforms, mm. mostly because it's still very unclear if other platforms will exist. I will just say personally that I am not wild about threads um, mm. for a myriad of reasons. Uh, Blue Sky has had its own problems recently, though it's probably like the least worst of all the, the situations <laughs> we've run into so far. Uh, we know there is co-host, which uh, is more of a Tumblr-style blogging platform, uh, but maybe that ends up being a thing. We don't know. As always, the best way to keep up with us is to subscribe, listen to us on the podcatcher of your choice, maybe even leave a review. If you if you really want to help us out, you don't want to chip in the money, you don't want to chip in anything else, leaving a review does help us a ton with visibility, helps us get the pod out to more people, the algorithm likes us more when we've got more reviews. And as always, only five stars. Only Ken five will stars. only tolerate five stars. Uh, nothing less. So <laughs> head mm. over if you want to support us in that way. But Ken, I mean, before we, we sign off, I mean, we've got a lot of segments ahead of us. I think 13 in total, or no, 26 in total. So one full year, basically, mm-hmm. of near ahead of us. We've got some great guests. I'm not going to announce any of them because every time we try to lock in a guest name before their episode recording, something always goes wrong. So I'm not (laughs) going to wish doom upon us in that way. Uh, But I've got to say, are you excited about the the path ahead for all this? Yeah, I'm at least more curious than I think I was even before we started. Like when we, because like we decided to do near just like, uh, as I think we've mentioned before on the show, like generally what we're going to do next tends to come together pretty quick just before the end of one season. Um, mm-hmm. I think we were f- probably, I think leading up to this, one of the, I, I think it took us the longest to like finally settle on something. Um, and I, th- and I think there was like a part of me that was like, okay, let's just pick something that just, just to, like have something to do next. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I think now that I have, played the first bit of Replicant and kind of have these new like things to latch onto. I am looking more forward to it than I have been uh, in the past, like, you know, nine months of us fucking uh, leading up to this. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see the, the directions this is all going to go. I think you're going to find it. I, I know that you have been told and it's very difficult when someone tells you that you're going to like something, right? You know, that's mm. always like the weird position. It's like when a friend shows you a YouTube video that they've already seen. And they're just kind of like staring at you, like wanting mm-hmm, you to mm-hmm. react to it. That's what it can feel like, right? When someone's like, you're going to love this game. You're going to love every section of it. And like, no, do I think that you, Kenneth, are going to find something of worth of value in critically dissecting this game? Absolutely. I have I have no question in my mind about that. Uh but I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, you're going to enjoy every single second of, mm. of near replicant. That's that's silly. That, that that doesn't exist for any video game. There's no video game that is universally start to to finish a perfect game. We have not made it yet. Baldur's Gate 3 is coming out on August 3rd, so we'll see. <laughs> but, <Damn. laughs> um, I do think it's very interesting, like, picking this game apart for the first time in the way in which we do it here, I think... I think I am very interested to hear how you kind of work your way through it because if nothing else, I feel like these games do provide rewarding texts to mm-hmm. piece apart. I think when we were looking at games that we wanted to do the norm DFM style unpacking for, cause we, those are discussions that we have, right? We've talked about a lot of different games in the past. We've talked about games like persona. We've talked about 
other Final Fantasy games, you know, just to name a few. We've talked about other Bioware games that we still haven't done. Uh, Ken vehemently opposes Star Wars, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> can't help that. <laughs> so uh, we've we've talked about a lot of different ideas, but I think Near is a, a duology. And we will talk about, to be clear, at some point we will talk about kind of the expanded world of Nier, but we don't need to talk about that right now. Um, but the the primary focus of this season, the duology of Replicant and Automata, is really interesting to unpack in this sort of book club style, piece by piece, closely examining different parts of it, because I do think that Nier is a game that is as much the sum of its parts as it is the whole of it all. And uh, each individual part of these games is so interesting and so fascinating. It does so much little stuff uh, that I do think we will get a pretty rewarding season out of it. So if you're with us for that ride, we're happy to have you join us on the Giants journey all the way to the end of Automata, which will take us a full year (laughs) to get there. But we will see you on the other side for Kenneth Shepard, for Eric Van Allen, for everyone listening at home. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Normandy FM. 